All right, greetings. Uh, another episode of Numbers Live podcast. We're back at you. Uh, we have a very special episode uh, this evening. Uh, so we were uh, graced by the presence of Elliot Charles. So um, Elliot is actually the director of intercollegiate athletics at Chicago State University. Uh, so we appreciate you being here with us, good brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate y'all, man. Appreciate y'all. All right, so uh, I kind of wanted to just get started off, um, kind of take take a step back and just kind of you know look back with you. Um, my question to you, real quick, is how did you or or what inspires you to get to the point where you are right now? I know you've done a lot. Take a look at your resume. You know, what inspired you to get to the position you are right now? Or was it just something that kind of happened organically, just having natural or what happened? So, I mean, like many of us, you know, our moms, our parents, you know, specifically my mom, though, uh, was a major influence in my life. And um, she had finished college like a really young age. She's from Canada. And during the summer, she always encouraged us to find ourselves. Like she wasn't just the type of mom to say, you know, go do book reports like she did that, you know what I mean, during the summer, which is terrible. But she encouraged <laughs> oh, us to find our passion, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it manifested, I think it was summer 95. Um, I had just grown like 11 inches. I had grown 11 inches in height. Everybody was telling me I was the next. Uh, it's funny, like Tim, uh, Tim Thomas or Mark Bryan. I grew up in New Jersey a little bit before Florida. And I, I wanted to be the next Shaq. And then I realized, man, it's highly unlikely, even though I was almost six feet tall at that age, that I was going to do anything. Um, and so I was reading Vibe magazine. Don't ask me why I was reading hey. Vibe magazine in 95. <laughs> One of them type of young kids. Yes, sir. And there was a cutout where it was Tupac, and he was talking about living his dreams. Like, it was him out, like, in this, like, random cornfield-type picture. And I was like, what is this? So I ripped it out, and I kept it, and I wrote on the back of it. And I said, when I grow up, I'm going to be what I want to be. I said, I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to be an athlete. And um, the influence came from my mom's sister. She was a lawyer uh, in Canada. And I, I love basketball. So that's where it started. Um, where it really became about getting into intercollegiate athletics was I saw the recruitment of one of my teammates. He was getting recruited by Mississippi State, Florida State, and others when I was in high school. And I wasn't. And so... I uh, I wrote an article on him and it was actually picked up by Harris Publications, uh, which is a slam magazine. And that made me realize like I could live my dream by supporting others. You know, like I started to learn that that's actually what being a coach or being an administrator was at that level, picked up some mentors after that. And um, it was a wrap by 2004, 2005. I knew I wanted to get into, um, you know, marketing and, and basketball operations at the college level. Oh, all right. We'll uh, now get into some other questions. Question, Juwan, what uh, who wants to, to start? Well, now, now I want to know who the teammate was. Who was getting recruited by Florida State? <laughs> so it was a guy named uh, Shane Thorson, and um, he didn't blow up. He's six five and a half, you know, uh, guard, lefty guard, he's a killer. He ended up playing pro ball in Mexico and some other spots. But he went to Queens University in Charlotte. They're, they're becoming Division One now. That's like new news. But he ended up finishing out his career at um, at University of Tampa. Um, okay. But if you look him up, you can find him, Shane Thorson. And he, we were part of a pretty decent squad at a pretty good high school in Tampa. Nice. Yeah. Well, 
I, I guess I can I can go next as I count that with the new NIL hidden college and things like that. What have you seen as far as like player recruitment now? Any any vaccine things that you hear from other schools? To I know I, I saw you're at Clemson before. And I just can only imagine what ACC donors are throwing at uh, players in in the name of NIL. So I, I feel like I'm in the presence of family. I mean, I've been I've been knowing Tweedle for a minute. You know, what I mean, I feel the love. Got 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 Fred on the on the on the morning here. And, no, I mean, I feel I feel like I know you, Juwan. Like I was telling Stormy, I, you you look real familiar. You know, um, either that or I need your barber's number because your barber's on point. But uh, <laughs> it's a little drive. It's a little drive, but I got you. <laughs> you know, um. I'm, I'm gonna say something crazy to you because I'm that type of dude. Tweedle knows that he see me in action. Um, <laughs> bylaw twelve five one one. That's what we're talking about. It's been around for a very long time, man. Like I say, you know, think go back a year ago to who was talking about nil right before it became a thing, like across all these states. It's I'm gonna say something controversial. It was people looking to protect their money. Right. Talking about it at the last minute. People looking to regulate it are creating controls that aren't necessarily considering what the students want. It's not just about the students. We got to do right by the former athletes like 12511 was where compliance people, risk managers earned their money, because if you wrote the right waiver or exception or made the right case, you could do whatever you wanted to do. What's ironic to me is that we always talk about protecting the fourth institution in the United States, which is the media, freedom of speech. We, we, we get an antitrust decision in federal court. I'm representing one of the 350 something member D1 institutions. I've sat on division one council as an alternate. Um, I just think it's, I think it's exhausting to get to a point where we're looking for other entities to make a decision on how these things should be regulated. And, and, and how can you look at somebody's basic rights, like their right to their name, image, likeness, and state that you want to have controls? When if somebody posts a picture of you on Instagram or somebody replays your music past a certain date after it's published, that stuff doesn't belong to anybody anyways. Like, if I come out with a song next year, I'm gonna monetize it until I don't have the rights to it anymore. Why are we trying to get in, in the way of basic rights? Yeah. One, last, one last anecdote, because these are buzz topics and we, we tend to make um, a lot of news about it in my business. But, but again, NCA has been exploring for years ways to give back um, to the student athletes. And, Student athletes have been voicing their concern about feeling exploited going back to like years ago, right? Um, Eric Dickerson, Fab Five, um, and a lot of these student athletes look like us on this this line, and that that's that's what a conversation is like. It turns into a hot topic, but the point I'm trying to get to is that when I look at the steps that have been taken since 2012, there are also on the flip side argument a lot of benefits going to students. Now, I don't know who messed up at UConn when uh, Shabazz Napier said he was hungry. <laughs> but, but, you know, students were eating whatever they wanted to eat, essentially. 
And that had to be regulate, uh, regulated, like putting writing and deregulated is a better way to say it. So that, you know, as, as protection after that situation happened, but it wasn't like people were going hungry. And so I just think I, I told somebody when um, Illinois passed its law, like, cause we were just kind of doing what everybody else is doing. I, I said, this isn't going to be as big of an issue for the kids for majority of student athletes. I shouldn't call them kids. That's an old nomenclature. I'm not going to use that. Um, for the student athletes, it's not going to be as much of a big issue for them as it is for the people that understand where the money is. They're the ones that are going to make a big deal about it. And, and that's how we saw it play out. Matter of fact, highlighting name image likeness, signing it with agents, some students getting million dollar deals was a major distraction for them on the field. And some of them got benched. Some, some of them, you know, essentially ended up with, a, um, you know, like a Gilbert Arenas, Baron Davis type scenario where they found themselves, you know, focusing more on the advertisements than the X's and O's. Sorry for the long answer. Oh, no, you're all good. Yeah, I, uh, I know going into it, I was looking back and sort of along the lines you were saying, I just thought like the, the likeness of the people on this call here were always at a disadvantage with it because I was reading like if you're a college hockey player, you can literally have an agent from the day you step on the campus. But if you play basketball or football, you can't, your parents can't talk to agents. And also, like, just the skin, the skin tones of those two sports compared to hockey as well. So I, I definitely see where it's the both sides of the coin now, though. Yeah. And famous social media um, kicker. I don't know if you follow him, formerly of UCF. Yeah, uh, YouTube guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's one of so many student athletes that lost all their eligibility. And, I, I mean – how do you make amends in that situation? You can't capture lightning in a bottle. You can't gain back the momentum of training, years in training. Like, I, I wonder how he feels. He talks about it sometimes, but his story, and, and let's not even get into the international student situation. They already, most international students uh, don't get the education they need on amateurism. And that, that then falls back on the institutions on how to protect them. Because we're talking about a bottle under amateurism. Um, and which is a term that's challenged in court, right? So how, how do they manage? How do they stay eligible? How, do they, how is it equitable for them? They've been at a disadvantage for years. So, and, and a, lot of, a lot of students I'm talking about too, again, look like the individuals on this, this, this call. So I, I just, I'm, I'm in a, I've been working in collegiate athletics for 15, going on 16 years. I'm 38 years old. And um, I, I just continue to be a little bit uh, disenfranchised by, you know, how I see these issues come up. They don't ever come up when they're the issue. They come up when it's like a overbaked, smoking, roasted, <laughs> fire burned, pit about to blow up, uh, yeah. you know, barbecue situation. And it's it's kind of, it's it's just exhausting. Gotcha. All right, well, so, oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, before I get into my question, I just wanted to uh, just shine some light on your accomplishment. The list behind me, is a list of division one black athletic directors. Um, and of the 351 division one uh, schools, this list only contains 57 names. Um, so first and foremost, I wanna congratulate you on that and let you know how much of an inspiration you are, um, not only to us, but to uh, people in the future who plan on making something like becoming an athletic director, a part of their careers. Um, with that being said, I wanted to uh, see if you can kind of touch on being a member of the Black Athletic Director uh, Alliance and uh, kind of what you all are uh, currently doing or have done to assist uh, 
African-Americans who uh, want to follow you all's career paths? Well, uh, I really appreciate uh, the recognition, Chris, and, and gentlemen on the call. I, I will say uh, Black AD Alliance was formed um, like many entities because a lot of us were to the brink of a point where we you know, saw the social push after the um, George Floyd incident, but it was more about topics, um, concerns, and things that we had been observing in industry for a long time. And it was really about how do we position those coming up behind us um, and pay it forward. Um, and through that, we were able to actually recognize each other and have a place where we could really talk. I mean, it's not just an alliance. We're talking about people who have leaned on each other throughout our careers um, to do right by student athletes, whether they look like us or not. And, you know, you look at the list, a lot of people don't know Damon Evans. He's a new Tim Duncan. He's a new, you know, like there's many people on here with deep relationships that have found ways to find commonality, despite where we are in the industry, whether in the, we're in the same conference, whether we're opponents, whether we're on the same in the same athletic department. And we've stuck with each other, man, all of us do the good and the bad. So to see the Black AD Alliance form behind the, the push from the likes of uh, Stan Wilcox, Peter Roby, Derek Gregg, another new Derek Gregg, who's um, over at uh, Northwestern now, um, to see it form under the day-to-day -day efforts of Dr. Brandon Martin at UMKC, who's a new, and sorry, I'm shouting out my frat so much. <laughs> Out of my frat brothers, you know what I'm saying? Yo, yo, um, a little out, a little out. And then, and then with Tim Duncan, you know, like I saw them guys putting the work in, you know, like with anything, we have our uh, ebbs and flows, we have our cadence, and we're all pulled to our issues on campus lately with the great resignation and, you know, just having a hard time, you know, with, with, with funding on campuses. But, but the recognition and the ability to form working groups the ability to identify the need for alliances, have subcommittees to bring other people into the situation to create allies was important. It wasn't really about who was on that list. It was about the connection we had and how we wanted to emulate that connection over to the people that could help us move forward opportunities. You know, at the end of the day, one of the things that I still think is stunning is the amount of division one um, head men's basketball and women's basketball coaches. Um, you know, and that number is getting better. We're seeing a push towards um, equity, um, but even at the Division I FBS level, the number of uh, African-American minority head coaches, again, a number that I scrutinize, I look at all the time, because when you have student athletes that represent certain demographics and they're finishing their sport without opportunities to lead, it's always an indicator of uh, a framework that's in trouble. Yeah, that's real. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, I kind of wanted to kind of get your thoughts, uh, Elliot, about, so we, we've been seeing an uptick or a slight uptick of, of HBCUs. So, you know, you know um, players and uh, getting more interested in going to HBCUs. You know, you got obviously got Deion Sanders down there at uh, Jackson State. What, what are your thoughts on maybe just the future of HBCUs going forward and just the kind of momentum it's been getting? And, you know, what are your thoughts on that? As you know, as it relates to obviously uh, Chicago State as well. Yeah, so you know, I'm um I'm an embracing black culture follower on Instagram. I'm a black millionaire follower. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I try to find my way in the black commerce, uh, chamber of commerce anywhere I go. Um, I haven't been as active in things as I, as I need to be, but you know, whether it's um, you know, finding my Masonic Lodge, whether it's finding, you know, the alumni frat, like 
all these things have a, um, they all have a part in the economic wheel of, of, of our general society. You know, there was an interesting stat that came out years ago about um, how, you know, black organizations, black consumers, you know, uh, push the markets, you know, whether it's the retail market, whether it's service industries, uh, sometimes, you know, there, there, are, there are indices and, and other market indicators that, that are based off of black consumers, right? And I, I think, I'm not sure we collectively uh, fully understand and feel feel what that means and when we talk about hbcus hbcus were the epicenters of communities i mean these are land grant primarily land grant institutions to where people were able to go seek opportunities for training jobs agricultural grants things that their family hadn't had access to for generations right and it continued through affirmative action in the 60s late 60s 70s to be an opportunity for people to go there and to spring forward onto Ivy Leagues for major opportunities. So when we talk about sports and why talent was initially coming through HBCUs and the fact that as I embrace black culture, we're seeing a renewal, a revival of, of, of attractiveness towards HBCUs. I think we can lose lightning in a bottle if we don't really understand what's happening. I, I chose to leave my alma mater, the University of South Florida, major, large, large institution in the state of Florida um, was rivaling with the University of Florida as far as um, admissions and academic standing at the time, uh, which I initially got there in 2013, but I left at the end of, uh, at the start of 2016 to go to FAMU as deputy director of athletics to work for a gentleman who left Alabama to go there and um, who I'd become really endeared um, to. And what we what his theme was, I won't steal that, what his theme, it wasn't we, he preached to me the, uh, the idea and the opportunity of the institution owning its own branding, owning its own media rights, owning. And, and some of these ideas and concepts we were able to execute on, but some were left on the table. And, you know, Courtney Gaucher has done a phenomenal, phenomenal, for a young guy, phenomenal job at, at, at knowing the assignment, man. He knew, he knew the assignment going in, bro. And he did it with no reservations. He's, he's humble and he listened. He, he talked to a lot of people. And, you know, we started, we restarted the Tampa Classic, which ended because of a really bad uh, social situation in Tampa that got public over race demographics, race relations. Um, we brought it back. Tennessee State played against FAMU and, even though there was a hurricane, that 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 still showed major proof of concept with the Tampa Sports Commission. It was really cool. Um, when it came down to multimedia rights, you know, Milton was constantly having conversations with folks about ways to put family in a better position. We brought the fifth quarter classic, where we worked with a, a group to um, deliver a game in Mobile, Alabama, where we played against Tuskegee. And all these things not only created economic stimulus for areas, we even did an economic impact study for Leon County showing, reaffirming uh, that we, uh, you know, we, we bring hotel rooms, we sell things, you know, like uh, there was a major impact on the area, but it also creates memories. It creates um, a linkage between several generations and what the HBCUs have to offer. It's not just about the, the smashing head button on the field, the band. There, there's tradition and culture that's conveyed, you know, leading up to the game in the stands, post the stands. If you've ever been to the Florida Classic, it's a whole experience, you know. Um, I remember when I first went. So, 
I think it's really important for people to understand it's not just about going to a black college. Um, we at Chicago State, we're PBI, we're a predominantly black institution because um, we weren't chartered as an HBCU, but uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a major, major epicenter for, for growth for, for African-American people. Indeed, indeed. Um, First so, time I've heard the PBI terminology, yeah. even, right. even used, in all honesty. Yeah. We're part of the Thurgood Marshall Fund, and, um, and we get the same access to funding, um, just not at the same level. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Jawan, did you think you had a question of Elliot about um, conferences? Oh, no, no. I had a question about uh, being the Christopher Columbus of uh, starting the COVID break. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, could you talk us through that day, like leading up to it? Because I, I know the pressure had to be on you like, tremendously to be the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as uh, as as some know, pressure is not something that really scares me. Um, it wasn't even about the pressure. It was that I had I had clairvoyance about what the 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 fallout was going to be. You know, um, I had been man right before the pandemic. I stopped watching Walking Dead. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I have been watching Walking Dead for years, but something nauseated me about the constant force feeding of my um of my uh, psyche that there was going to be some end of world event and that I'm there watching it every Sunday night. It wasn't starting off my week. Right. But I tell you when that, that March, February, March thing came, it felt like walking dead in my industry. It felt like we were about to have a nuclear fallout. And I saw it coming because even the moment where Rudy Gobert was playing with his teammates, Donovan Mitchell, putting his booger on everybody and they all got sick. Like, I, I knew what was going to happen. Like I, I was talking to um, higher ed athletics earlier today and um, it's another entity. And I was telling them like, I don't know if it was a gift or a curse, but going back to December, 2019, I kind of had some clairvoyance because Stormy, my wife had wanted to travel. And, you know, I'm, I said earlier, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like monk. Well, uh, I don't know if you remember that show where the monk, the detective, where I'm like super critical <laughs> things, you know? And I was like, Oh, you, you can't go to Africa. I was like, you can't go because uh, you can't go. You didn't hear about this random thing going on. And I was like, you, you can't go to Europe either. You can't go to Mexico. And she's like, Elliot, I'm going to go. But then I saw an article. I saw, I saw something about COVID pop up back in late December. And then time passed. And then I remember when there was airport travel issues and the federal government not wanting to shut some of the airports down and the governor is pleading. And then I remember um, I had a friend who lives in Wuhan who was actually a researcher at Clemson who had just moved back and she had sent us some advice just on how their government was handling things via text. So, um, to, you know, Christopher Columbus dealt with a lot of things, man. He dealt with smallpox on his boat, right? He dealt with, he dealt with having to carry slaves on his boat, man. He was indebted to both uh, Italy and Spain, right? And then he was on the hook with Spain big time. He had failed voyage previously. Um, you know, my family's from Trinidad and Tobago. La Trinidad is the first island he founded, you know, and, um, uh, that couldn't have been an easy voyage, man. I don't envy him, and I really don't envy um, the position I was in. Looking back at it, I feel blessed that that was my cross to bear because I wasn't looking for notoriety from it. But we had uh, some local situations. We had localized issues in my building that we had been assessing risk-wise the whole time. We had people to care for. I have students to care for. And if I have unknown risks, there was no way I was going to subject them 
uh, to a situation. And we worked with UMKC early on on our cancellations. They canceled one game, we canceled two. Um, and then we ended up taking the risk of going out to the WAC because of all the flack we got. We, um, you know, worked with some uh, advice from epidemiologists downstate, we developed our own PPE packages on airplane. And we were talking to people on the plane just about the unknown of it. And we get down to the WAC and Rudy Gobert is putting boogers on somebody. And <laughs> next thing you know, all the conferences are shut down. And um, I, I, we were sitting in our whole hotel convention area saying, man, I'm happy we're not at the uh, other hotel where everybody else is. And it was a wrap. You know, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, speaking of WAC, when, uh, I heard you something you got to tell us about the WAC. <laughs> yeah, so we, we announced uh, a little over a year ago that we were departing the WAC um, this summer, June 30, at the end of the fiscal year for us. And it's, um, you know, it ends a, a pretty story tenure, you know. Um, there were, no, shout out, I don't do this too often and I need to, but shout out to Dan Schumacher uh, and those that were part of his administration and staff and getting us into the WAC. It was a major opportunity for the school. Um, you know, it was something that wasn't going to be forever. I think we knew that. And our goal was to find, you know, where, where we were strong, what our foothold was. Um, you know, they did an amazing job in building that turf field. Um, we had some great exposure through some of our sports. But, um, you know, as we got to December 20, we said, hey, look, this is a situation where we got to have a better understanding of what our future is. We got to do what's right for Chicago State. Um, for the Roseland community, for Pullman, the Pullman district, uh, for the, those that are invested in Chicago State. And so, you know, we made some changes. We made some very hard changes um, and we're, we're leaving the WAC. Um, but, you know, one thing that I want to share is we've been very transparent about who we've been talking to, spending a lot, a lot, a lot of hours talking to a lot of university CEOs and athletic directors and other um, persons of interest. I, I'll say after this two-year venture of trying to figure out where we fit, you know, right now we're waiting um, on consideration from the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, which is the MEAC, and we're also waiting on consideration from the Ohio Valley Conference. And so when I say waiting, um, these are situations that are currently in progress, and um, there's a lot that happens behind closed doors, but we feel really excited about the potential partnership of the likes of, you know, Howard University, Morgan State, and so many others. Uh, we, are, we announced um, a pathway agreement. It was like an educational co-op with Morgan State not too long ago, which was really cool because, you know, Chicago's a major recruitment center for historically black colleges and universities, um, whether it be in the MEAC or the SWAC. I know um, when we were getting to know the SWAC early on and during my tenure, um, you know, talking to Dr. Charles McClellan and um, uh, Dr. Jason Cable um, at the time, you know, there are some great linkages between Chicago in um, Louisiana schools, Chicago, you know, my presence actually from Louisiana. Um, there's some great linkage, linkages between the Alabama A&Ms. You know, if y'all drive around the South side, you see them on uh, the license plates all the time. So it was just really cool to um, put ourselves in a position to be considered that way. Um, but yeah, we're waiting to hear back from those two conferences. And we've had some great, uh, you know, great feeling and feedback about, you know, those that have taken a tour of our campus. The Ohio Valley came twice recently and the MIAC came as well. They brought an envoy. Um, we were really impressed by the Chancellor of North Carolina Central, um, by the administration that came from uh, Morgan State, uh, Delaware State, um, and, and the other institutions that showed us love. And, you know, big shout out to Commissioner Stills and, and um, 
uh, new AD down at Alcorn, uh, Raynoy Dito. Uh, we call him Dito. He's awesome. You know, I had a chance to work with them while I was at uh, Florida A&M. And then big shout out to Commissioner that, uh, Beth DeBush and the leadership um, in the OVC because they've shown uh, continuous engagement with our institution as we've defined our, cha- our championship era. You know, they, they see the spark that we've made in the 17-11 and 11 volleyball season. WAC coach of the year and Tony Trippinoff. You know, I think he, he's won the MEAC championship of volleyball 19 times out of a 20-year career there. You know, you know, we had player of the year in uh, volleyball in Yonlees Felice. We had, I think, six-time uh, freshman player of the week, newcomer of the week, in Aaliyah Collins in women's basketball. Um, she made the newcomers list for the year, second team all whack. We had Brandon Betson, who did, made the same accomplishments as, uh, as Aaliyah on the year. We had Ali Deba, major, watch out for him now, major, major player in uh, men's basketball, you know, come in and get freshman week right away. We had Coach Gillian have some amazing accomplishments, also get put on the Joe B. Hall watch list, finalist list for college basketball newcomer coach of the year. Um, we beat New Mexico State. We beat Cal Baptist, which at the time was the, one of the leading institutions um, in the conference on the men's basketball side. We started the year off with, with two consecutive wins at home, which was major. On the women's basketball side, we beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin. I was at the game cheering my head off. Men's soccer beat Northwestern at Seat Peak Stadium to open up this season. So, you know, I feel like Khaled and another one, another <laughs> one. You know, like we, we worked for this. We earned it. You know, Kanye West did an amazing job and gave us a huge donation of tickets, which which I, I let them know. I let their camp know that it, it did something magical for our student athletes and they felt appreciated. They felt appreciated. And it caused them to venture out to places in ways they wouldn't have down in Hyde Park, down at South Shore, Bridgeview over by the airport. Like they're, they're out. They get, they're, they're, they feel part of the city now. Let's go. Right. I don't want to take all the questions. I got another one if y'all ain't got. <laughs> your, greatest, your greatest sports accomplishment. Like what was that, that one shining moment for you? Are you gonna make Uh-oh. me bring it up? Oh, <laughs> my son's probably been wearing it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I gotta find it. Hold on, is it in there? Okay. So, um, I don't have the letter from Coach Sarah Patterson on me. I have it uh, tucked away. Um, you know, I think the year she had won national championship in gymnastics, one of the years right before she retired uh, from Alabama, she sent me this amazing letter, just to, telling me about my contributions. And it was weird, man. I wasn't used to it. I wasn't used to getting recognized as a young professional. And she told me that I I had a major part in what they did. And man, that choked me up. Like, I didn't, I didn't understand that you get recognized in a job. I thought you earn it, you get paid and there was nothing else to it. Right. And I didn't know. So that was huge for me. And that sticks out of my mind. That's major. Um, Obviously that same year, we had a chance to go to several national championships. We had one um, in softball. Um, we had one of our golf programs won as well. And um, obviously Alabama football beat LSU after losing to LSU at home. It was the year I got married to Stormy, it was 2011. So that was major. Um, I had left after that year to go to Cleveland because I got a major opportunity and I was job hopping. And uh, Coach Saban had his assistant send me this um, – it's amazing football that I carry with. I put, brought it to work actually to my office. And so that was like, that, those are, Alabama was amazing. But to be on the grind 
with Clemson football for the best season ever Ooh. in the history <laughs> of Clemson athletics. It was really cool. Man. It was super cool. We went 15-0, and 0 and, you know, I know what my role is in that, and uh, it was amazing to be part of it. Um, I just – I'm forever thankful. Now, there's a whole lot of other stuff, y'all, but – those are things that will stick out that I hopefully my kids will know about when they're my age and can talk about with their friends and family. You know? That's dope. Yeah, that's dope. So it's a nice piece right there. Yeah, we, we never had a championship ring on the show. We didn't have Craig Codges three times. He didn't show right. not one ring. <laughs> hey. Uh, well, all right, any other any other final thoughts, final questions for Brother Charles? Um no real final questions. I just, I would just like for you to share a few words um, again with um, young African-Americans who, again, you know, want to follow you all's career path. Uh, what advice do you have, uh, whether it be um, a particular role they should take or just general advice itself? So I think I heard you say the word young and um I'm not a constant dissenter, Chris. I'm a, I didn't even make it a semester through law school. So, you know what I mean? Like, I don't mean the dissent from what you said, but I think it's anyone, right? Like, I think it's, I think it's anyone. But when we talk about young African-American people look like me, I say it's young, young folks too, but like anyone, and even if it's one of y'all, like, you know, each one teach one, like we got to connect. We got to connect. We got to, my advice would be, you have to know who's in the industry in any industry you're trying to get into, um, you can learn a lot more from someone the old school way by looking them in the eyes and being humble, showing humility enough to take out that pen and paper and listen to what they tell you they learned through their experience. There is something that is amazing in the human experience about connecting one-on-one. You know, um, I think I, I really like the fact, because I was anti-social media for many years, but I'm a big proponent of it now because if you use it the right way, it can um, it can spur, um, catalyze that one-on-one interaction. And um, for me, I'm actually branching out. I'm actually uh, starting a, a firm um, called Tracer Space, where I'm looking to connect people, um, data, opportunities, and their goals, um, so that they can win. Like for me, I've always like tried to create cool acronyms, monikers around winning success, motivation. And I think if, if, if we can just, for me, what would have put me over the edge coming up was connecting with the players fearlessly, not reaching out once and saying to somebody, well, oh, I did it. They never, they never got back to me or saying, oh, I went for an interview. And that was like the hit, the highlight, and I was good with it, right? No, being persistent enough to say, hey, I want to make a personal connection for you to mentor me, for you to champion me and teach me how to do what you did. And for sports, people hide a lot of the knowledge, like, because it's not, a lot of it's not that complicated. A lot of it's about decorum, understanding, um, understanding tradition, understanding how certain institutions do things. A lot of it's not even about sports. It's about understanding the business that supports the sports, that institution, you know, and you can learn a lot of, about, like, my first experience at NIU. I walked up there, um, I, so it was the rain, I drove up there in the rain, walked up to the facility, in a lighter suit and I, I was drenched. You could probably see my nipples through my shirt. It was, it was terrible, but I had my, uh, sorry, I was a little graphic, um, but I had this little portfolio that I had spent 20 bucks on and all it had was my cover letter, resume references in it. 
And I ran into, it was summertime, ran into an administrator who I still to this day, like he's a mentor to me. And he was like, man, you'll, you'll work for free. I said, I work for free and I'll find another job up here to support me while I'm working here 40 hours for free. And I said, I just want to learn what you do and how you do it. And I want to support you as a professional. Bro, he called me like every day after that. He's like, when are you starting? When are you starting? When are you ready to start? And that that got me my job at Alabama. Going from that, they decided to pay me after that. I, I worked that job for two plus years and that turned into Alabama. And I think I, I think many of, the, many of the young folks, going back to your question, the young folks forget um, that we're, it's a people and service-based business. You got to understand who the people and players are. Man, that's dope. Very inspiring, brother. Very, very inspiring. Very yeah. um, well, all right, we're not going to take up any more of your precious time, brother. I know you're a busy man. Hey, we appreciate you. Love, all love. Appreciate you taking the time out, brother, to get on here. Definitely, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Uh, I appreciate y'all. I feel the love. I feel the love, man. It's always at home when, when Tweedle's on the line. And listen, man, anytime y'all need me to come in and chime on something, hey, it's, I'll do it. It's big time news coming from me. You see, I'm not afraid to talk. I'm not sharing it today, but y'all going to hear about it. So if you want to invite me back to explain it, man, it's coming soon. So so keep us on, on the lookout, you know, here over the next two weeks, you know. Oh. Hey, I'm going to to that, brother. Hey, appreciate it. <laughs> Elliot Charles, everybody. I oh, am. Yeah. Thank All you. All right, uh, Thank you. Thank you.